So today's Bible passage that we'll be reading from actually comes with a bit of a warning about what this, um, what the sermon's going to be like, because it says um, that sometimes discipline is painful rather than pleasant. And now I don't know about you, maybe all sermons for you are painful rather than pleasant, uh, but there is, there is just that slight warning that comes in this passage. Some of this may be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to be talking about the discipline of God. And for many people, we might see it a bit like vegetables. Now, when I was a, a child, I was not a fan of the vast majority of vegetables. I have distinct memories of being um, invited to a trip to McDonald's one day, um, which we never went to McDonald's as kids. And so I was super excited about this. But the day before, mum had cooked us aubergine. <laughs> and mum said, you know, well, if you, if you don't eat this, you're not going to McDonald's tomorrow. The end result was my brother throwing a slice of aubergine over the garden fence to make it look like I'd eaten it. That was how little I enjoyed vegetables as a child. Um, and and the, part of the problem was the only justification you're given as a kid for vegetables is, well, they're good for you, which doesn't feel like enough, really. But now I have come to love aubergines. And in fact, I make an excellent moussaka. Um, Chris, back me up on this one. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've come to love all of the vegetables that I used to dislike. Um, broccoli, uh, cauliflower, courgette, cabbage, a lot of seeds in there. Um, I, I, I've, I've come to realize that actually it's more, that it's more than them being good for us. They're actually delicious. And they're, they're a part of God's gift to us is, is these vegetables that are good for you and taste great. Um, I'm still a little uncertain about asparagus, actually. That's, I, I don't get it. I don't get asparagus. Um, maybe in time, I'll come to love it. It can be the same thing with discipline, where we see it as this negative thing, where we read that thing about it being painful, and we're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't like it. We, we resent the word, and we resent the idea of it. But what I want to do today is to encourage you that actually discipline is a, a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's a gift from God. It's an expression of his grace towards you as a follower of Jesus. Um, that, that warning is just a part of it, and it's actually followed up by the passage, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that's what I want to do today. I want to look at the discipline of God and, and maybe get rid of these ideas of it being this, like, um, this thing that's it's like a vegetable that we just have to lump it and, and embrace it as a beautiful and um, gracious gift of God. So we're reading from Hebrews 12, verses 3 to 17. And it says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So this passage reveals to us that discipline is an expression of the father heart of God. The writer to the Hebrews says to them something that I think is true for most of us here in the room. You have not yet shed blood for the sake of your kind of struggle against sin. So don't But Jesus endured so much more. And Jesus should be our example. He endured the cross for us in order that we might be reconciled to God so that we can enjoy the relationship with God, which comes with discipline because He's our Father. And then it ends with this exhortation to to embrace discipline wholeheartedly, to, to, to lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees. And so, what I want to do is sort of broadly follow the structure of this passage today. I want to talk about why God disciplines us, how he disciplines us, and then how we should respond. So the why of discipline. It's worth wondering why you might resent this word. Some of you might not. Some of you might be totally okay with it. Some of you might think, discipline? That that doesn't sound like the God I know. That doesn't sound like uh, the God of grace. Some of you may resent the term discipline because um, actually your earthly father gave a really bad example of it and and that's understandable and and, and if that's you today God wants to show you what he as a perfect father looks like and how he expresses discipline as part of his perfection but some of you might just have taken on some of our kind of cultural dislike of the idea of discipline I mean if you think about um Class, like Hollywood cinema for generations has often been about people rebelling against authoritarian figures, like um, the mayor in Footloose who bans dancing, and then Kevin Bacon who rebels and teaches everyone to dance. We sort of associate discipline with that grumpy old mayor. And, and to be honest, I have genuinely met someone who went to a Christian university where non-choreographed dancing was banned on campus. So sometimes we bring that image upon ourselves. Um, But we get this anti-authoritarian streak from culture. You know, think of every maverick cop ever who doesn't play by the rules. You know, there's this this sense that rules and discipline are bad. And it it sneaks into Christianity in, in really subtle ways. I mean, the less subtle ways are those pop theology books that are just like, 
Sin doesn't really matter. Uh, discipline doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's just, it's all about love. It's all about love, and we don't need to worry about that. Love wins. Most of us, I think, might be able to spot that as, as not being the complete picture of Christianity. But I think more subtly, it sneaks in um, through good things, good language such as acceptance. You are loved, you are known, you're accepted. Come just as you are. That's true, but what we can't let it lead to is this pastoral stagnation where we reject this good gift that God has for us. And, and the language of acceptance means that like, salvation becomes just a transaction where it's like you're given a ticket to heaven and then that's it. Well done, you're a Christian now. But I heard a pastor recently say that Christianity is not just a transaction, it is a transformation. And you have been offered the opportunity to transform today, to experience real change, to, to, to grow into someone who looks more like Jesus Christ, the greatest person who ever lived. It's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not just a necessity, it's an opportunity. Um, and, and if we see from the passage we see that it's, it's a loving thing. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And more than that, it is wrapped up in the fact that God wants to relate to you as a father. It would actually be a dereliction of God's duty as a father if he didn't discipline you. He would be neglecting a part of what a father is supposed to do. Um, and this, this, this word discipline is so wrapped up in this relational idea of God being a father to us. It's even in the original Greek word, paideus, which um, shares the same root as the Greek word for um, son or child. And etymology fans out there? <laughs> yeah, got some whoops. Etymology fans out there? That, that, that word uh, for son or child, that's where we get pediatrics, medicine for children. So the idea of a child or a son is wrapped up with this idea of discipline. You cannot separate the two. If you want to embrace God as a father, you have to connect with a God who lovingly disciplines you. And the, 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 the passage actually invites us to compare God to our earthly fathers. Now, I am, I'm blessed and privileged to have an amazing earthly dad, and I know that isn't true for all of you, but, but my dad... Um, is part of the reason that I am who I am today. Um, and if, if you've met him, you'll know that he's just um, a, a wise and humble man of God. He taught me that I should think before I speak, and one day I plan to do that. <laughs> one day. But he, he also taught me, more realistically, he taught me that um, you know, being a man of God isn't about machismo or like not showing your emotions. He showed me that being a man of God means um, gentleness, kindness, service, putting others before yourself. He, he upended cultural expectations of, of what a, a man should look like and show me what true godliness looks like. And he did that through loving discipline, through, through lovingly guiding me through life, steering me. And I'm so glad he did that. I'm so glad that he didn't leave me as I was and said, you're on your own, mate. Work out how to be a, a good person yourself. He, he saw part of his father 
his role as a father to me as, as one to shape me, to help me grow and become somebody different. He enabled that change within me. God, in his mercy, doesn't leave you as you are. He wants to bring you into maturity to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is, this is a, a call to fruitfulness, to enjoy the fullness of what God has for you, uh, to, to enter into something um, greater, to, to not be left in our sin and to discover, to, to share actually in his holiness. That's in the passage as well. We get to share in the holiness of God. And now I know there are some of you in the room here today, people who I know and love and, and actually admire as spiritual mums and dads and brothers and sisters who, who understand this, who say, yeah, I'm, I'm fully on board with the discipline of God. Um, look around you, in fact, right now. If you see people in this room who you admire and you see Christ in them, that's possible because they've actually warmly embrace this discipline that God offers to them. And, and to you today, I want to say, keep going. This message is an opportunity to, um, to, to engage with it once more. You know, we're, we're not, um, this is not a one-off thing. It's a lifetime of transformation. And it's something that we can neglect in our walk for any number of reasons. And today is just a chance to re-engage with that, to say, God, what are you, what are you saying to me now? Where, where do you want me to change next? How can I grow to look more like Jesus? To go back to that image of fruitfulness, it's a chance to tend to that orchard. You can't leave orchards just to do whatever they want. You can, you can cultivate them and help them become even more fruitful. And so there is that promise of fruitfulness, even greater fruitfulness for you today. Um, and, and what you're building is um, the vine and fig tree that God promises that one day you will sit under and no one will make you afraid. So that's the why of discipline. It's, it's a beautiful gift of God that is an expression of his father heart and an expression of his grace. But how does it happen? Well, our relationship with God is nuanced. I think it happens in any number of different ways. God, God wants to relate to you every single day and to, to make you more like Jesus every single day. But I think uh, I wanted to pick up on three of the most obvious ways that God might want to shape you and um, draw you into greater levels of Christ-likeness and fruitfulness. Um, the first is scripture. Um, if you're reading the Bible regularly and coming away unchanged by that, then I humbly suggest that you're reading the Bible wrong. The Bible, after all, is supposed to be a double-edged sword um, that cuts straight to your heart. Uh, you may, that, that may not be uh, news to you, but, so let's give it a concrete example. If you're doing the Reading God's Word Together Bible plan, uh, which a group of people at Kings are doing, they're just going through uh, parts of the Old Testament and New Testament every day, then I think this week you will have read Matthew 25. And Matthew 25, in that, God said, Jesus says that God is going to know his people by the ones who um, fed the, uh, the hungry, clothed the naked, visited those in prison, welcomed in strangers and outsiders. And he says, actually, when you do that, when you feed the hungry and clothe the naked and welcome in outsiders and visit those in prison, you're doing that for Jesus. Now, 
when you read that passage, it should prompt something in you. At the very least, it should just cause you to reflect. Okay, how am I doing that? What, what ways am I living this out in my life? How am I expressing Christ-likeness through those things? This is just one example from the past week. And it, it should cause you to, to think about ways that you might engage with those things, to, to visit those in prison or to welcome in strangers and outsiders or to feed the hungry. You shouldn't just read it and be like, that was nice. You've got to allow it to change you. And the same goes for the scripture every day when you pick it up. You've got to say, God, what, what do you want to say to me about this? How can I become more like Christ through what you're saying, through your living and active word? The second thing is the spirit. Now, your conscience is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But it's not quite enough to, to, to help you grow and change because sometimes it can get mingled with how we feel about things or different kind of messaging that we receive. And so our conscience can get dulled. And so we need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that is alive and present in you as Christians to fine-tune that conscience, to sharpen it so that you are responsive and receptive to where the Spirit might be leading you and shaping you in every day of life. Um, Again, to give it an example, for me personally, um, I have regularly switched off uh, the television if I feel the Spirit say, you've got to stop watching this now. I've walked out of cinemas before um, and I've, I've felt God say to me, no, this isn't worth it. And so the question is, would you be prepared to do that if the Spirit said, you shouldn't be watching this, even if it's something that's like got a lot of buzz, a lot of people are talking about it. Um, but there are any number of ways that the Spirit could shape you. What if, what if the Spirit said, okay, it's time for you to put your work down and prioritize something else? Would you be prepared to do that, to hear that still small voice, to, to set it aside for that moment? Um, would you sacrifice time that you would spend just chasing fun experiences for the sake of building the church? Would you respond to the spirit when he says, I want you to start giving a bit more money. I want you to start giving over and above your tithe. God's going to relate to each one of us in different ways, and it's going to be different things. There's no sort of single prescription that can be written out here for how the spirit will work in you. So my encouragement is to, to be prepared to listen and respond and change as a result of the Spirit, just fine-tuning your conscience, just sharpening you every day. And I think this is where um, the writer to the Hebrews gets it right about it sometimes being painful. Some of those things are really sacrificial. But look at the promise of fruitfulness that happens if you respond openly and warmly to the prompting of the Spirit in you. And then the third thing well, I had to alliterate, so I went for siblings, but I, I meant the family of God. It just would have been a letdown if it had said scripture, spirit, and family. So the family of God, the people around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ are actually another expression of God's grace to you and how he might work out um, discipline in your lives. The church should be an intimate family where, we're, where we speak into one another's lives, where we open ourselves up to, to people being able to say, um, is that really what God's calling you to do? Or like, how do you go about that decision? Because what we want, what we should be doing is rooting for one another, 
uh, calling people into greater levels of fruitfulness, the fruitfulness that God has promised us. I have um, many people in my life. I have a group that I pray with. And, you know, it's, every time when we meet up, it's not like we come in and it's just like, all right, let's go through everything that we're doing wrong. It's not like that at all. It's just a loving relationship of brothers who pray with one another. And I know, I trust them that they would speak into my lives. And I've invited them to do that when the time calls for it. And I would feel conf- confident and comfortable to do the same for them. So actively seek these relationships. They're not going to happen by themselves. Grab someone in your small group. Say, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to just start praying with you and like embracing that kind of relationship that um, I, I'm talking about now. Um, and the key thing to this is, because we don't want it to become uh, a relationship of judgment or like constantly talking one another down, you've got to keep that end goal of fruitfulness in mind. And when you're pursuing fruit and when you're Uh, seeking the best for others around you, then you're going to see real change and transformation in their lives. And it it changes what could be really awkward and difficult conversations into something closer and more familial and and where you're you're building one another up rather than tearing one another down. And and really the key to that is, is what is your end goal? What is the purpose of it? And if it's fruitfulness then God is going to be at work in those conversations. Do you notice what all three of these things have in common? They all require a soft heart. Because you can read scripture. You can listen to your conscience. You can have those conversations with your church family. You can listen to any number of sermons. But unless you have a soft heart that is willing to receive what God has for you through these things, then it's just going to bounce right off you. And you, you, that soft heart is actually yet another gift from God. You're picking up on this, God just wants to keep giving you gifts. And, and he's given you, uh, as promised in Deuteronomy, he promises that he's going to take out a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh instead. But we can be active participants in this transformation change. We don't just let it happen. We need to choose to receive the steering of Scripture. We need to choose to receive the promptings of the Spirit. We need to choose to receive the guidance of our friends and family. So be soft-hearted, can I urge you, church, to, in your prayer times this week, just say, God, create in me a, a new heart. I want to be open to where you're steering me. I want to be open to where you're leading me. That's how it happens, through a spirit of humility towards God and a soft heart. So how should we respond? Well, the response is laid out for us in this chapter. Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Or in The words of Nike, the the fashion brand and sports brands, just do it. Just do it. Just start pursuing these gifts that God has for you. Strengthen your weak knees. Like I said, you are participants in this change and transformation that, that God is offering you. You can grab hold of these things. You can say, right, well, I'm going to start reading Scripture more. 
I'm going to start praying more for the Spirit to be at work in my life. I'm going to find friends and I'm going to say, you know what, you can speak into my life at a deep and meaningful level. When I read that bit about strengthening your weak knees, it made me think of physiotherapy, which, you know, if you have a weak knee, you've got two options. Either you do the physio to strengthen it, or you don't do the physio and you risk making that knee worse. And now, sometimes physiotherapy can be painful. Actually, I don't know if it's supposed to be. Uh, Maybe I was doing it wrong. Um, But you do just... uh, the physios in the room are all wincing, like, no, it's not painful, it's not painful. But you, you do have to do it. You have to actively pursue it. You are participants in that. And in time, your knees will be strengthened again. Or in my case, my lower back will be strengthened again. You have a part to play in this. So pursue those things that I was just talking about. And the passage then ends by listing some of the things that we as Christians should particularly watch out for. It encourages us to be a people of peace, not bitterness. I think this is a, a message for our times when so many different things would seek to divide us. Here, God is telling you, do not let any root of bitterness grow out, because then it will spread. Don't let it happen. Seek peace instead. I think it's so important that this is what he's talking about after um, this message about discipline. We have to be disciplined about peace in place of bitterness. And in fact, when, when I said that you have the opportunity to change, this is where we actually distinguish ourselves from the rest of culture. Because bitterness happens when two people who hate each other talk to each other and refuse to listen and refuse to change, refuse to budge even an inch on anything. But we have the spirit working us. And so when we have those difficult conversations, we're prepared to change. We're prepared to be soft-hearted towards other people. And we have peace as our priority. And there's a warning against sexual immorality as well. And there's a particular need on this one in the 21st century, to make sure that we are listening to our conscience on it, uh, to listening to that spirit-sharpened conscience. Because, again, there are so many forces that seek to drag you away from a godly view of what sexual morality looks like. We need to be disciplined in being disciplined. We need to be relentless in our pursuit of purity on this one and make sure that, that we are listening to the spirit and not what culture is trying to tell us. But it also says, make sure that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This all happens within that context of grace. This is not just a list of rules. This is an expression of God's grace towards you. Grace is what enables us to... um, be reconciled with God in the first place, to enter into that son-father relationship with him. It's it's what allows us to come here freely today and worship God and and to even have that spirit in us in the first place to be shaping us and working through us. It's all within this context of grace. And if if you're like, what 
what is this grace he's talking about? I know it's a big bit of jargon to drop in here. Dan did an excellent sermon on the grace of God just a couple of weeks ago, so you can catch up on that online. But make sure you don't fail to obtain the grace of God as you're working all of this out in relationship with God and in relationship with other people. So, can I urge you, church, don't be like Esau, who's mentioned here. Esau's a character from the Old Testament who is promised an inheritance, and he trades that inheritance away for a bowl of stew. Don't trade away your glorious inheritance in God. That inheritance is to partake in God's holiness, is to share in his righteousness, is to be changed day by day to experience this transformation and to step into the fullness of what God has for you. That's your inheritance, to become like Jesus. Don't trade it away for the sake of what's easier. And it is easier. There's no denying that. It's easier to not read scripture. It's easier to shut that voice up inside you. It's easier to not follow the guidance of people you know and trust. But don't throw the inheritance of God away for the sake of what's easy. Don't trade away a feast for just one bit of fast food. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Embrace the transformation that God has for you. And then something glorious will happen. We will be a community of people who every day look more like Jesus, who every day are representing a little bit more of Jesus to those around us. And it's going to appeal to people. They're going to be like, what's different about them? And it's it's Jesus at work in you. It's God shaping you through his Holy Spirit, through his scripture, through his people. And it will be a force to be reckoned with when all of us are running headlong into Christ-likeness and eagerly embracing the transformation that God has for us. So I want us to respond now, just actually in a moment of silence. So just take a moment to come before God and to soften our hearts, to to respond to this this offer of something beautiful and and good, The, the Father's love of God expressed through through discipline, which leads to transformation. God has good things for you, but we need soft hearts in order to be able to receive it. So let's just take a moment of of silence to, to offer those hearts to God and maybe to listen to him. Maybe right now God is just really lovingly speaking to you and just in his grace just saying just calling something out and just saying that's not Christ-like but together we, we can change that maybe he's just highlighting just one or two things in, in his love and in his kindness as you soften your hearts towards him don't, don't let that pass I feel like God wants to speak to 
in particular right now, to people in the room who have been doing this for years, who first heard a sermon about the discipline of God maybe 10, maybe 20 years ago, maybe more, and they're, they're tired. <laughs> they're just exhausted of, of trying to walk the walk and fight the good fight when everything seems in opposition to, to that mission. And I just feel like God wants to strengthen you right now through his spirit. God wants to fill you, give you a fresh anointing of his spirit right now to, to strengthen those weak knees and say, come on, keep going. We've got this together. He sees that it is tiring. He sees your weariness, your exhaustion. He says, well done. Keep going. Come on, I've got you. I've got you. I'm going to strengthen you by my spirit. And I think there's a promise of fruitfulness in your future ahead as well. Uh, A season of seeing the fruit of of this discipline at work in your life. And and maybe you've been waiting for that for a while. And I feel like God's saying, yeah, it's coming. Just keep going. Keep, Keep going with me a bit. Strengthen your knees. I'm with you. I'm going to strengthen you by my spirit. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I feel like God wants to speak to those for whom this is a totally new message. And I'm like, well, where, where on earth do I start? Where, where, do, I, where do I go from here? What, what does this look like for me? Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Just allow God to speak to you right now. Just open your heart to him. And don't worry God's saying, you're in my grace, I've got you. You're not alone in this. There is an army of brothers and sisters around you who are are for you and are going to walk with you on this journey. And if there is you, I'd love you to come speak to me or to Chris or anyone at the end, and we can just help you out along that journey. There are ways that that we can help and uh, just great conversations in in your future that that we can have with you. And then finally, there are people in the room, I think, who who don't know Jesus, who haven't even begun to experience this transformation. But they're like, that sounds good. I want change. I'm I'm stuck where I am. I want to experience these gifts of God that you're talking about. If that's you, I would, I'd love to pray with you just at the end of this service and we can talk about what that looks like for you. But God, God wants to bring you into his family. He wants to show you his love for you as, as a father. Father God, we, we love you. Thank you for this, this beautiful gift that you have for us. Thank you that you don't want to leave us as we are, but you want to bring us into the fullness of what you have for us. You want to transform us, to show us who we can be, empowered by your spirit. Thank you that you don't leave us as we are, but you always have more for us, more gifts, more goodness. And today we as a church just say, we receive it, God. Help us to receive your gifts. Help us to receive your discipline. 
Help us to see you more as a father each day in your perfection, in your goodness, in your grace. And we receive all of these things in the grace and in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.